0: Welcome to I Do This Because, an interview series that displays the motivations and personalities of people in Dallas who lead us. We dive straight into the hearts of leaders in all industries, those who receive praise and those who deserve more, what inspires them, what gives them courage, what promotes humility in the midst of fame, how they conquer stress, how they manage crises, and how they retain a sense of humor under pressure. And with that, let's meet our guest and find out why he does what he does. Hello, Dallas and Beyond. My name is Grant Schmidt. We are here with the Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, co-owner of 2929 Entertainment, chairman of Access TV, star of ABC's TV series Shark Tank, owner of Magnolia Pictures. The list goes on. Mark is currently worth $4.3 billion. But it's my view that simply putting a number on Mark's wealth undervalues his contributions to Dallas, to the country to the advancement of technology and business and beyond. Mark, we are honored to have you on today's edition of I Do This Because. We're gonna jump right into it. I just finished reading your book, How to Win at the Sport of Business, and at the end of it, I was ready to run through a brick wall and take on the world. Um, anyone who has observed you knows you bring <laughs> tremendous, tremendous energy and fun and zest for life to any task placed before you. And so I'm just curious, what currently, in all of your roles and all of these companies, what is bringing you the most joy? What are some of the things that bring you the most happiness right now?
1: Well, Right now, obviously, things are a lot different. Um, so it's my kids. You know, we're here, the whole family's here. And like any parents, you know, glued together to, with that family just stuck at home, just trying to keep them all in one piece. You know, they're 10, 13, and 16, a 10-year-old son and two girls. Um, and that, that's his own challenges. A 16-year-old and a 13-year-old daughter are challenges in and of themselves trying to do it during a pandemic that that's what's keeping me the the most focused right now and after that i mean i'm an investor in over 200 businesses and so trying to stay connected and trying to offer support there um where any of my portfolio companies need it i want to ask you just a little bit about about being a dad you know you
0: have you've always said that you always want to make sure your kids don't take things for granted and that they appreciate things i've heard you answer many questions about that but what do you what do you think how have your kids impacted your approach to business in some ways. Other than trying to be more present to them, do you feel like you changed in your approach um, in, in some of your, you know, Yeah, the there's sport- a couple of things that, that yeah. have changed.
1: You know, you, you watch to see how they use media. You watch to see how they use technology and learn from it. I'll give you one perfect example. I've always been a big reader. From the time I was a kid, you know, I read everything I could about business and that gave me a real competitive advantage. I mean, significant and continues to this day. My kids aren't big readers, particularly my 13 and 10 year old. But one day my, my 10 year old was asking me about shark tank and he doesn't watch the show on television, traditional television. And he starts asking me why I don't like royalty deals. I'm like, well, Jake, do you know what a royalty is? And he explains it's a percentage of sales. And I'm like, well, Jake, when you do that, that eats up part of the, the seller's gross margin. I'm like, do you know what gross margin is? And he explains, you know, the difference between the, the sales price and the cost. I'm like, where did you learn all this? He goes, I'm watching on YouTube videos. And as I see him um, learn different things and talk to him and you know, understand his viewpoint of the world, where I might have gotten him from books and newspapers and maybe TV, he's getting all his knowledge of my middle daughter too from online sources like YouTube. So I've had to recognize that not everybody's going to want to read books and that kids today learn differently. Um, And so you just have to address that and deal with it and recognize that in your businesses as well. Yes. So related to that point, Mark, I've heard you say
0: many times that the best way to be a good salesman is to be empathetic and to truly put yourself in the minds and in the shoes of your customers. And so what is the Mark Cuban model for
1: doing that? Preparation. I mean, my first company, Micro Solutions, we sold the law firm, Thompson and Knight, um, and a whole bunch of, you know, longtime firms. And I had to understand how a law firm operates, how they make their money, their billing systems, their accounting systems, how they track expenses, all those things. And so before I could go in there and offer a solution, I couldn't just wing it and hope they told me everything I needed to know. I had to dig in and learn. And whether it was a law firm, whether it was Walmart, whether it was you know, a little tiny company, um, it was my job to be prepared walking in. And then once I understood enough about their company and then asked questions when I got there, I knew how to apply my technological talents to create an environment or create a, um, a solution where I made them more productive, more profitable, and gave, try to give them a competitive advantage. Cause that's always my goal. How can I make it in business? How can I make my customers more productive, more profitable, and give them a competitive advantage period End of story. But I can't even begin to address that if I don't understand their business. Right. Okay, so one one more thing related to that. When you were
0: younger, I know you read the book, uh, you know, How to Retire by the Age of Thirty Five, and you basically did. Um, after selling that initial software company, and then you teamed up with Todd Wagner, and you two started obviously the Legend of broadcast.com. I've heard you. I've heard people ask you know why keep going, Mark, and you said I like to win, and you know that's just that's just who I am. Um, but I want to explore that just a little bit. You know, to to what end do you like to win? I mean, in other words, people have said, what would you, what do you want to do with your money? And you say, I care about how I'm going to enjoy it. How does it impact my family? How can I impact the world? And so to what end do you seek to win and why do you keep going?
1: Well, I'm competitive. You know, why do basketball players keep playing basketball? Why do football players play football? You know, I'm competitive. And fortunately, you know, age isn't necessarily a limitation in business, so I can keep on going. Um, And, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge to me, and it's something I love to do, I, you know, whether I'm investing in a company or starting a company. If there's a 22-, 23-year-old kid from Silicon Valley who thinks, they're, you know, they can do a better job, I want to kick their ass, you know. To right. me, that's stimulating. It's why I still go play pickup basketball at the same place I've been playing forever against kids a third my age, you know, because I'm, I'm just competitive. I love to compete, and that's why I keep on going. Now, earlier you mentioned earlier
0: you mentioned the, you know, the 200 companies. So how do you, you know, similar to, I guess, how I would in each day, I run through all my cases, except it's very different for you. I mean, how do you actively keep tabs uh, on your different businesses since there are over 200 of them?
1: I have a lot of good people that work for me. Um, that's the primary. They, their job is to deal with them on a day-to-day basis. My job is to get weekly reports when we're just starting to work together. Bad news first, because my job is to be there to help them when things go wrong. I invested in them because I expect things to go right. Um, And then once we get to a point where things are are moving along and they're confident in how they do things and and business is good, then they don't have to send me reports as often. It's just more when they need me or want to update me. Um, But that's typically how I go. And, you know, across those 200 companies, they have a normal distribution. 10% are amazing. You know, another 10%, 15% are really good. Um, 20% are awful. And the rest are trying to
0: get really good so so mark when you are assessing you know obviously you're dealing with all these different companies some of them you've acquired through uh acquired interest through shark tank and other investments i've heard you say that when you receive emails obviously you don't really have a firewall people can email you and pick your brain and you've said that you know you can you can assess within the first paragraph if you're going to respond so what is it that you're what is it that you're looking for when people reach out to you about all sorts of topics
1: the things i mentioned earlier What's their competitive advantage? What makes them profitable, and what gives them what makes them unique? What's their differentiation? Um, you put those three things out, and if they make sense to me and it's not BS, then I'm going to be interested, and I'm going to keep on reading. What about those some of the other miscellaneous
0: requests? Like for example, there's a great story about the woman Laura Stewart recently, and how she reached out to you. She had the insurance adjustment business, and you connected her with Vista Bank. People reach out to you with all types of different requests and questions, I mean, how do you determine then whether or not
1: you're gonna respond, whether it's something that you wanna become involved with? It's really, can I help them? You know, in that particular case, it was really easy for me to send them to John Steinmetz at Vista Bank, it was just a little forward. You know, sometimes when people write a three page backstory, I don't get past the first couple paragraphs, but if it's like, look, I have this issue, here's what the issue is, here's how, you know, if you're able to, you can solve the issue. And if I'm able to, why would not I? you know, but obviously I can't do them all, but at least I'll read them. And if I can help, I will. And then what Mark, in terms of assessing, you know, people,
0: I've heard you say when you're on the shark tank, um, that sometimes, you know, obviously there's some financial components, but other times you look at whether or not, you know, someone is a learner and a worker and whether they're going to admit when they're wrong. Um, but how do you assess, you know, what is your, uh, your method of assessing someone when they walk in the door to determine whether or not they have, you know, the X factor in your view? Asking questions.
1: You know, um, like the very first interview I did um, with, um, when I get interviewed for your business software, way back when, when I was in my 20s, one of the questions the guy asked me was, if you don't know the answer to a question, what do you do? And my answer was, I look it up in the manual and I figure it out. You know and i've used that same type of question ever since what do you do if there's something you don't understand or know and that's what it comes down to you know because the only constant is change we're always going to be dealing with adversity we're in the middle of the greatest you know stint of adversity that we've seen in our lifetimes and so i always try to you know gauge just how committed they are how flexible they are how dynamic they are and are they always going to learn? Because particularly with technology, if you're not willing to learn, you're going to fail.
0: Do you, Mark, do you have any, I mean, you previously talked about having fear in terms of, hey, I, I want to make sure that the next guy isn't going to beat me out, similar to what you said earlier. You strike me now as, as generally fearless. And so I'm wondering, you know, what, what keeps you up at night, if anything, what you do, what you worry about, other than the basic, hey, I want to make sure that these companies are running smoothly and that we're doing the right thing.
1: I mean, other than the obvious with the pandemic, um, I mean, to me, it's just changes in technology because it's hard to keep up. You know, how much time can I put in to truly understand the difference between when you use machine learning, when you use a neural network? You know, when do you use a a GAN versus an RNN versus, you know, an RCN versus all the different types? I don't have to create them, but I have to understand them so I can understand the conversations I'm having. Right now, we've learned a tough lesson via the pandemic that we need to manufacture more products in this country versus overseas. But how do we do that? Well, I think it's, you know, robotics are going to be key to the United States competing globally. I need to learn more about robotics. That's what I'm doing now. Same with precision medicine. How is that going to work? So those are the things that keep me up. How am I going to keep up with learning all these things and really be able to use them in a business environment so that, so that it works? And Mark,
0: what, what do you read to ensure that you're staying up with the time? I mean, for example, do you read, you know, do you have a, do you read the Dallas Morning News in addition to other, you know, um, magazines that you rely upon or other databases that you rely upon? I read everything.
1: <laughs> everything I get my hands on. You know, I'll go on Twitter and do different searches or follow different people. And when they, you know, promote something or, you know, discuss something, I'll click through it and I'll read. Um, I have lots of newsletters that I subscribe, email newsletters that I subscribe to you know, AI, you know, some podcasts. I'm not big on podcasts, but every now and then, this week in machine learning, this week in AI, those types of things. Just, you know, robotics review, just ways that keep me connected. And I don't have to be the world's greatest expert. I just have to have a good bullshit meter, you know? Because when I get pitched, everybody today says they have an expert in AI or robotics. Everybody says so-and-so was a PhD at this Ivy League school or that Ivy League school. You know, and that means nothing um, because AI is hard. Robotics are hard um, and they're expensive to do as well. And they get it wrong. And so if I'm not able to discern right from wrong, then I'm going to have a real problem. And so, you know, I read everything I can possibly find the time to read. And who, I mean, it sounds like- so And I also add, I'll do tutorials and some Coursera stuff as well.
0: Okay. Okay. And it sounds like, you know, with- in the world of AI and robotics, you obviously have certain people who you rely upon. But who are, who are your um, true confidants? I mean, for example, I know that you know, you're, you're friends with Warren Buffett and people of that stature. But who, who is Mark Cuban really uh, calling to consult and to brainstorm and to fact check?
1: I mean, I, I, I have friends that I talk to, but I'm not the type. I'm not like, okay, I have this mentor that I run everything by you know, and I really turn to for guidance, I'm more like, I'm, I need to figure it out for myself because by figuring it out for myself, I understand the processes that are involved in making something happen. Um, I know a lot of people use mentors and that's a good thing, but that's just not my style. If I see something I don't understand, it's rarely, okay, Todd, Steve, whoever, explain this to me. It's more, okay, I'm going to keep on reading until I figure it out.
0: Got it. And you mentioned you mentioned your friends. In your book, you mentioned you know, you said, look, when I reach out to you, I'm not just calling to, I'm not just calling to chit chat. Um, you know, I'm not just, um, I'm not just calling necessarily to check in, but I'm, I'm often calling to talk business. And so I was trying, you know, on one hand, I know you've got these great friends from high school and you always say you've got your running buddies and then your friends, but is it the case that, that you still don't necessarily call just to check in or do you feel like you've changed in that way?
1: Yeah, I'm not a big chit chatter. Now things, you know, now are changing. I have my Zoom calls with my high school buddies. I have Zoom calls with, you know, some work buddies. I have Zoom calls um, with college buddies. And so it's a little bit different there. But yeah, I mean, I'll send emails more than I'll just talk on the phone. You know, so I keep in touch with all my friends almost daily via text or, or emails. Um, I'm talking to one of them somewhere, um, but yeah, I, it's not like I'm not a chitty-chatty, you know, type person where, hey, what's going on? What would you do today? That's just not me. That's not my personality. Right. Okay. So,
0: so, given the preciousness of time and given, obviously, that you have very limited time and, and high demand, how is, your, how is your schedule blocked out? I mean, is every minute accounted for? How do you decide, hey, this person does get a meeting, this person does get a phone call?
1: Um, I try to keep my schedule as open as possible but lately with everything going on it's been more difficult and actually that's by design that it's been a lot more filled up just because when you're stuck in quarantine and it's groundhog day it makes the days go by faster Um, but in terms of who it just depends on impact I I look for unless they're a friend or a friend of a friend um, and I'm just you know because we're friends I'm I'm trying to help out then I look for leverage and impact what's going to benefit me the most am I going to learn from it is it gonna challenge me? Is it interesting to me? Is it gonna help me get a message I'm trying to get out out to a greater audience? Um, I like to do a lot of interviews that are with people I don't agree with. So you'll see me on Fox News all the time because it's fun for them to challenge me knowing that I'm not a fan of Donald Trump's and they you know, are playing that role and just be, being hit with all these questions. you know. And so I like that stuff. I, I like that challenge and I like the fact that um, I can, it's fun to fight back. That's the battler in me, the competitor in me. So
0: you mentioned, you mentioned President Trump and you mentioned, you know, Fox News. I just want to, you're asked in every single interview, of course, whether you want to run for, uh, whether you want to run for president or in your politics. I know you said you put it up uh, for a family vote and the family voted it down four to one. But what about, Mark, what about running for president intrigues you?
1: I mean, it's not so much that I'm dying to be president, it's more that the guy in the office isn't very good at what he does, period, end of story. You know, and I just, the way the two-party the the two system works, we don't get our best con, um, candidates. We get who the parties choose that meet their needs rather than what's the best for the country, and, and that's a problem. I mean, the perfect example right now is, you know, we, the candidates we're gonna get for all offices were primarily from the two-party system pre-pandemic. You know, and, and so we chose um, primary um, winners that may or may not be the best to, to help us solve the problem we're in the middle of right now. And you know it's just, to me, the two-party system has outlived its usefulness. And so just any way that I can disrupt that, um, there's an organization, Center for Competitive Democracy dot org, that I support, mm-hmm. that helps um, independent candidates get on the ballot and so, a lot of the time, when you see me, you know, pushing and talking politics, it's with the underpinning that, you know, what we're doing and the way we're doing it is broken. Yes. You know, there's, we we shouldn't be dependent on two parties to try to find the best candidate, because they're more interested in in keep getting or keeping power than doing what's best for the country.
0: Yes. Now, now, related to this and relating to you, kind of setting the tone, I, I want to turn a little bit to the Mavs, but. That game, obviously, you've been asked numerous times about your reaction when you found out that the NBA season had been shut down. But one thing I was really struck by was, of course, that in the interview at the very end of the game, the first thing you say is that your focus is on the staff at American Airlines Center. And to you, I think that, you know, it was an obvious point. But you set the precedent for, in my view, everybody in the sports world to be more concerned externally than about whether the games are going to be played, etc. And so, has that, has that always been your mantra? I mean, do you truly, are you always thinking about, hey, look, I care about these ushers. I care about these people who are making this place uh, uh, run because without it, we don't have
1: a sports game. We don't have a sports team. Has it always been? No. You know, there's just a point where you're, depending where you are on your financial life cycle, where it's me, 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 us, 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 then the next dollar doesn't change my life. Them, 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 them. And, you know, for the last, 15 years, let's say 20 years, even it hasn't been about me. It's been more about them, you know, being able to help others where I can and enable people. And, you know, and let me just add, I mean, all my companies have always given equity in all the companies I've started. Um, and I can't do it with the Mavs. Obviously it's not something I started. And it's different, but um, microsolutions, audionetbroadcast.com um, access, you know, um, landmark, even we either gave people equity or paid them out bonuses to, when we sold the companies, because we don't get there without them. But in terms of supporting the hourly workers, that's something that I've been thinking of and we've been talking about for multiple years. You know, at the AAC, we worked out a program, we supported the stars to um, increase the wages to get get it to the point over the last three years going into next year, I think, where employees are up to at least $15 an hour. And we tried to ascertain whether or not any of our employees, and I know it's not the case in the Mavs, but also with the AC, um, we're on any type of government assistance. Because to me, if my employees, if I'm not paying them enough and they need government assistance, that's the worst kind of socialism there is. Right. You know, that, that just makes me feel awful. And so, you know, when you talk about trying to help other, our employees, I mean, it's, it's more recent, it's not my entire career, but it's something I've learned that makes things better. Because when people feel confident in their jobs, confident that, you know, they, they're allowed to contribute, they will. Yes. And, and, and
0: Mark, you, you tell this story about how when you went to the, you had season tickets for the Mavs before you were the owner and you were there with your girlfriend, now wife, Tiffany, and you, you, you looked around, you said, I can do this. I can do this better. And, you know, I grew up going to Mavs games and I think I, I think I've taken for granted all the little things that you did to make it a better experience And so similar to your whole theory about, you know, about the sport of business, but also learning, did you have, did you feel like you had a natural vision for you? I want to add mics to the nets and I want to add these comfortable seats and I'm going to put Dirk's head on these animated bodies. I mean, (laughs) did you have that natural vision or do you feel like, you know, you, hey, I'm going to learn all this as we go and implement what I think works best?
1: No, I mean, it was right from the start that I knew. What I had to do was I had to convince everybody there and others that we don't sell basketball. Basketball is not our product. Experiences are our product. And, you know, when you think about the last basketball, football, baseball game, whatever soccer game you went to, you don't remember the score. You don't remember the jump shots, the dunks, the home runs, the touchdown passes. You remember who you were with, you know, particularly now when you think back, right? And you remember your dad, your uncle, your mom, your girlfriend, your wife, your buddies. That one time your buddy got sick and puked on the guy next to you. you know, <laughs> all the stupid stories that, that that people, you know, run through. And so I had to get people to realize that that's what we're selling, memories, experiences. And once everybody knew that, then it was really easy to do the fun stuff, the mics on the net. And I'm not saying I didn't steal some of those ideas from other people, like when I traveled around in other right. sports, you know, so it was probably 50-50 original and, and, and borrowed but whenever I could apply them, I did, and now it 's going to be even more so, because now in the social distancing universe, you know we have to re- reformulate, rethink exactly what we 're doing in terms of getting people into an arena so that they 're safe and still enjoy you know, the experience and so we 'll use a lot of technology, augmented reality to guide people through, a lot of scheduling, just you know, a lot of technology to keep it safe and clean. Now we're having to reformulate and reimagine even more until we feel confident enough that you know COVID's not a risk.
0: How much of your day? De- how, how much of your day right now, Mark, is focused on preparing for you know returning back to the sports world?
1: I mean, a lot of brain power um, in terms of trying to figure out ways to, to come back. Um, now I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor, so we have to in terms of the the testing and all that. Excuse me. I'll defer to the experts in terms of the technology and ideas. You know, some are mine. Some are David Hertz, who worked for us. Some over since. Some are you know different people. So I'm asking for ideas from everyone because we're going. Everything's different right now. You know, you know, as you guys know, it's just complete reset. And so all bets are off. All rules are open to be interpreted and, and changed. And that's what we're trying to do. How can we reinvent the experience in a social diff- distancing u- universe? I mean, doing things like quarantine groupings, right? So that, you know, our family of five should be able to sit together, but how can we expand that? So if your family and my family live next door and we're willing to get tested together and become a quarantine group before a game, obviously that's an option. It's not something we would force on anybody. Okay, can we do that? Because so now we have 10 or 15 or 25 people grouped together because they've all been tested and trust each other, and then we create space around them. You know, just who knows what will work using augmented reality so that rather than when you know scheduling the time where you get to a parking space at the game or scheduling the time you come off out of an Uber and then giving you an app so that using augmented reality you can see exactly the, the path you're supposed to walk and taking all those apps and you know combining them so we know where people are and making sure they're distant. You know, there's all these things that we have to try to recreate or invent. In order to make everybody safe, but also make it fun.
0: No, that's it's fascinating, and obviously, you know, you're going to set the tone not just for the NBA, but for for all sports. Um, I want to ask you. I know, I know, you've been watching, or you watched the Last Dance, and my friends and I were talking about this. There's that one point of uh, one of MJ's interviews, one of Michael Jordan's interviews, where he says um, it went. It's one of the parts that went viral, where he says, you know, some people may think I wasn't very nice. Some people may say I was a tyrant, but that's because you hadn't won anything. You know, I cared about these guys. And I sometimes wonder if you feel a similar way. I mean, nobody, th- to be clear, nobody thinks you're a tyrant, but people know your intensity, right? People know that, that, you know, you've been in the face of the referees, et cetera. And so do you feel similar that, that maybe there's this misunderstanding and that all these sacrifices, Mark, that you've undergone are for your guys and for
1: these guys that you've invested in? I wouldn't go that far because I don't know that I make any sacrifices. I mean, maybe financial, but not physical. You know, like like Michael's gone through. But I I try to be supportive. I you know, yeah, am I intense? Yeah, can it, you know work for me and against me sometimes? Yeah. Um. But that's just who I am. And I you know, my hope is that people just recognize that those forty eight minutes during a game, I'm really 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 intense. But anybody who knows me, you know, the rest of the day, the other two, 22 hours of that day, I'm pretty chill. Right. And so I think when people see that, I mean, they, you know, if you know me at all, then you just realize that's how I am. But yeah, yes. I, I'm not. I'm not worried about how people perceive me or if people think, you know, that I'm too intense or anything. This is who I am. You know, it's when I, like when I first bought the Mavs, people were like, "Why aren't you going to be like a regular owner? Go sit in the, you know, the owners box and just write checks." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> that's not why I bought the team. Right. You know, this is what I, I love basketball, and, and this is what I want to do."
0: There was a recent interview, Mark, where somebody jokingly said, all right, Mark, you and Michael Jordan are in the same room. Who is the alpha male in the room? Um, and you said, you said me. And so I was, I was just curious, you know, what, what, how would that, how would that uh, dynamic um, be seen by others? I mean, why do you think that? What about
1: your personality makes you think that? Now on a basketball court, like I went to his camp, and, you know, even back then I wasn't good enough, right? And he could torture me in any way, shape, or form. Now the tables are turned. He's on my turn. It's in the business world, right? And there's nobody more competitive than me in business. And so, yeah, he, his, his intensity wouldn't even begin to compare to mine in business.
0: I love it. So um, just a couple more questions. Um, one thing, you know, anytime I have any ounce of success, um, I, I often have experience in the imposter syndrome where, you know, I feel like, oh, I don't know if I deserve this, et cetera. I obviously, I still have some confidence, but I have that I experienced it. Do you ever do you ever experience
1: the, the imposter syndrome? Oh, of course. It's like, it's not about whether or not I earned it. It's just a question of scale. You know, why did I why was my timing right, you know, for the internet stock market? I was wealthy before then I had, you know, a fair amount of money. I was retired long before we started broadcast.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, you always you never want to take it for granted. And you're always like, wow, how did this happen to me? And um, that that's just natural. Um, do I think I earned my way? Absolutely. Do I think, you know, I deserve to be a billionaire? Nobody deserves to be a billionaire. There's always luck involved. Either you were born to the right parents or you were, you had good timing, you know, whatever it may be, you work your way to create that opportunity, but you need some luck. And so, yeah, there's always a, a, a measure of imposter syndrome, but not because of the work, just because of the scale.
0: Yes. And I've heard you, I've heard you say, um, you know, being a, being a billionaire can sometimes be weird, uh, for lack of a better word. And so I'm wondering, what about it, you know, now that you've experienced it for many years, you know, what, what's weird about it now from your perspective?
1: Because every, that's the first way everybody describes you. <laughs> you know, I could, I, I could, you know, be dunking with my um, ankles. <laughs> and people would say, that billionaire Mark Cuban is dunking with his ankles and not pay attention, you know. Where you know it's just crazy. That's always the, the first way people describe me. And you know, it, it just is what it is. I can think of worse problems to have. Um, yes. so I'll take it.
0: Okay. Um now there's a chapter in your book where it's it's titled, What will you remember when you are ninety? And it's a really it's obviously a good framework, but you didn't necessarily you were posing it for others, but I didn't get a sense that you answered it, which is why I wanted to ask you about it. So so what's, what's Mark Cuban's answer to that question? What will you remember? What do you want to remember when you're 90?
1: I mean, obviously the accomplishments of my kids. But, yeah, all the fun things that I did, you know, I mean, that's why I did WWE a couple of times. That's why I was on Dancing with the Stars. You know, that's why, you know, the Mavs and, you know, so many other things. That's why I did Shark Tank. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I started on Shark Tank. There's just so many examples where – You know, you could say, no, you know, people might think it's stupid or people might think this or people might think that. And I'm like, oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it forever. And if I feel that way, I'll do it.
0: Yes. Last question, Mark, when you hand the reins, whether it's to your kids or to your business partners with the Mavs and you decide to officially retire, which I don't know that you ever will, but if you officially retire and take a step back what what do you want people to say about Mark Cuban? And I just have one caveat. I know that you've always said, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. So I'm not really, I know it's hard and, and a lot of people don't like to talk about their quote legacy, right. but given all the advice you've given to so many of us, you know, if you've in fact done all those things you've set out, which you already have in a sense, what, what do you think people will say when you step back?
1: I mean, I hope they say he was a good dad and I hope they say I had fun. You know, because that's what I've tried to do. Um, now my kids sometimes can make it a challenge, right, Jake? About being <laughs> a good dad. But uh, <laughs> Jake, say hi, Jake. Hi, Mr. Never Get Out of His Pyjamas. How you doing, buddy? Good.
0: <laughs> Are you enjoying time with dad? Yeah, I just I like to watch behind to. Hear what yeah, he's nice. making all these kinds of signs and trying to distract me and. You Jake, know, how have you been time. feeling? How have you been filling your time? What have you enjoyed the most during really. the time at home? Um, Fortnite, Xbox, really. Like, Xbox. Hey, I got a question, Jake. Do you do you participate? Do you know all about esports? Like uh, the actual. Probably two K, but not like FIFA or Madden. Okay, okay, okay.
1: Got it. So, are yeah, you able to I keep in touch it's with? It's sport the esports side of it yet, but you know, maybe someday if he's good, he can play esports.
0: Yeah, I'm probably not. I don't
1: really like EA or anything like that. In there it's mostly yeah, see, he does
0: the same thing. Same to me. Just walks off. <laughs> nice to meet you, buddy, Mark. Thank you so so much for your time. Thank you for everything you've done for Dallas. Um, as I said earlier, for the country, for business, for technology. I'm very grateful for your time.
1: Thanks, Grant. I enjoyed it. Man, it was a fun interview. Jake, say thank you. Thank you.